You can dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us right here for a new week of African Dialogue on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's me, Benjamin Mushadama. Thank you for joining us here on Shortwave and also on our website and also on our DSTV audio bouquet. Well, today on the program, we'll be looking at uh, uh, the Brexit uh, phenomenon in the UK. British Prime Minister Theresa May's surprise decision last week, Tuesday, to hold a snap election in June and look at uh, the Brexit ongoing negotiations. So we'll be looking at what that means for Britain and what does that mean for the relations with British and other countries. Also, what does it mean also for how Africa could relate to the UK. But before we look at that, let's get a look at this new development and to look at the current negotiations looking at Brexit. We're now joined on the line by Ronald Henwood, who's a political analyst based at the University of Pretoria. We also have Daryl Glazer on the line, who's an associate professor of politics based at the University of Edvartisran in Johannesburg, South Africa. Now, let's start with you, uh, Mr. Handwood, in terms of looking at this election. If it does go through, it will be a strategic election likely to hand the Prime Minister, Theresa May, a major victory and a strong mandate on Brexit. Your thoughts on these latest developments? Yes, I think it's quite important for the Prime Minister to not only have the election, but to have a result that will strengthen her hand. And, and that strength requires, or she requires strength in terms of two outcomes. Firstly, in terms of domestic politics, she has a very slight majority in the British Parliament and has been under serious pressure from not opposition as much as her own Conservative Party backbenchers, trying to push for all sorts of policy decisions and changes to issues that she felt strongly about. So she needs the domestic mandate. She needs a bigger majority in Parliament in order to control her own party. Mm. Secondly, she needs a mandate to strengthen her hand in negotiations with the rest of the European Union on the terms of Britain's disengagement from the European Union. And the problem she faces is that because of her weakness in her own Parliament, and the fact that the mandate of this parliament was going to run out more or less just after the conclusion of negotiations with the EU, she was going to be under pressure to accept terms of an agreement with the EU that may not have been what she wanted as the British Prime Minister. So getting a stronger mandate now gives her three years after the um, negotiations with the EU that she can still be in office. And that changes the dynamics completely in terms of how she's going to engage with the EU and what the dynamics of that negotiations will be. Mm. So yes, a very important election for her and one that she has to do very well in 
if she wants to achieve the basic outcomes that underlines the logic of this decision. Mm. Mr. Glazer, let me bring it to you. Would you say that this is a timely moment for the Conservatives? Is this playing politics or is there real interest in the Brexit ambition? Well, uh, Theresa May talks about needing uh, a strong hand for herself and for Britain in the negotiations with the EU, but my reading of this is that it's uh, very largely a domestic political decision. It's an act of political opportunism that basically uh, the Conservatives have a huge lead over Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party in the opinion polls, and this is uh, an ideal moment to strike politically, uh, despite the fact that... uh, Previously, Theresa May had said that she already had the mandate she needed for uh, Brexit negotiations. Um, and despite the fact that she had previously said she doesn't want an early election, yeah. uh, she's, she's seen the political opportunity. She may not in, in several years' time be as far ahead in the polls as she uh, is now. So, uh, yes, I primarily see this in domestic political terms. It's very uh, interesting how she was able to overcome the threshold uh, required by the Fixed-Term uh, Parliament uh, Act, and um, that was designed precisely to uh, prevent sitting prime ministers from taking advantage of uh, incumbency in the way that uh, Theresa May has done. But she very cleverly maneuvered virtually the entire parliament into supporting uh, an, an early election because no rival party wanted to be seen to be running scared. So uh, they were effectively very politically cornered, which uh, underlines the extent to which she's a formidable political operator. Mm. Let me bring in uh, Professor Gerard uh, Erasmus, who is a professor as well, an associate at the Trade Law Center based in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Erasmus, for giving us your time. Y- your thoughts on this, uh, the uh, varying views coming from both uh, Ronald Henwood and uh, Daryl Glazer in terms of the timeliness of uh, the call of this snap election in, in, Brexit, in, in Britain. Y- your thoughts around how uh, Theresa May is also using this Brexit as a form of politicizing uh, the whole uh, system? Yeah, I would agree with um, the statements um, that there is an element of uh, of political uh, engineering or political exploitation of the political conditions, but there's nothing wrong with that. That is what politicians must do. Mm. And she's looking for the longer-term uh, position of herself as a leader uh, of the Conservative Party and that she will push forward the date of the next election to 22. So that gives her um, a, a period of, uh, according to all expectations, uh, a, a better positioning and a, and, a, and a more powerful position. But I would like to add one new element um, while agreeing with some of these other observations, and that is the most important feature around Brexit is uncertainty and unpredictability. Theresa May does not know and cannot predict what will come out of the Article 50 negotiations. And the indications already are that there are very serious differences in approaches between Brussels and London. Mm. Brussels is adamant that these negotiations under Article 50 will be about exit and exit only. May is interested in what comes after that. And, uh, and the EU um, has now indicated that they will only start talking about that once the terms for the exit 
uh, has been uh, have been decided. What we're now seeing, and it is still very early days, that um, London is becoming interested in a softening of the departure. Some people are even talking about um, uh, an interim arrangement while they, when they, when the UK will remain uh, a member of the of the customs union. Mm. Now, if that happens, and it makes complete sense to soften the blow of a of a of a of a cliffhanger type of departure. And the way to do that is to, to start talking about um, staying on in the, in, in, for some period in, mm. the, in the customs union. Now, if you do that, you to, are to some extent reopening domestic promises about uh, a hard Brexit, immediate Brexit, uh, getting sovereignty, returning sovereignty to London and, and stopping immigration. We simply don't know to what extent London will be forced to make compromises. Uh, uh, around this vitally important uh, set of negotiations, which we call Brexit. We simply don't know, and she can't predict them. Mm. She needs a clear hand. She needs uh, a steady basis for doing so, and if um, necessary, to, to, to enter into compromises. Mm. Well, we're speaking there to Gerald Erasmus, who's a professor and associate at the Trade uh, Law Center, uh, giving us his views on uh, the Brexit move, especially the snap election that uh, was arranged by uh, Britain's um, uh, Prime Minister, Theresa May. She announced it last week. And uh, is uh, Britain ready in that polarized environment uh, uh, for elections themselves? Because even Brexit is now something that they've been polarized about are they ready within that atmosphere to go for for these elections and what would their agenda be would it be for leadership or would it be the brexit um uh, agenda uh, well we'll carry on with our guest we also have uh, daryl glazer associate professor of politics at the university of witwatersrand right johannesburg and uh, ronald henwood is a political analyst based in the university of pretoria we'll continue this uh, discussion with these great experts on the line after this break Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Channel Africa is bringing you a new program from Tuesday, the 25th of April. Join us from 900 to 1000 hours Central African time for African Gender Ndaba, a unique program tackling issues of gender injustice, equality and transformation across our continent of Africa. You can catch the program at 900 hours Central African time on Tuesdays or at 200 hours Central African time on Wednesdays and at 300 hours on Saturdays. African Gender and Daba brought to you by Channel Africa, the African Perspective.
Well, yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, all right here on African Dialogue. From Monday to Thursday, we bring you experts to really zoom into one subject matter, whether it's international or on the continent, but something that really shifts the dynamics of world politics or any other area that actually makes you and my life uh, different right here on the ground as ordinary people. And we see the rise of an unstoppable ter- Theresa May who is actually actually taking advantage in the political space who's now because of the uh, kind of her tightened grip on the Brexit ambition she's seen herself action now calling for elections in uh, sometime this year uh, in June sometime and uh, we will see how that will actually go forward in terms of what this means for Europe and its relationships with uh, other uh, countries but on the line we've got Ronald Henwood who's a political analyst at the University of Pretoria, Daryl Glazer, Associate Professor of Politics based at the University of Edvartenstrand, and Professor Gerald Erasmus, who is an Associate uh, Professor at the uh, Trade Law Center based in Cape Town. Now, I want to come back to you, Daryl Glazer, some of those points that were brought in there by Professor Erasmus, who was agreeing with you on some of those political uh, kind of advantages that are being made by the uh, Conservatives, but also what he stated that's very interesting, that new dynamic he brought into the conversation was the uncertainty which comes with Brexit itself and uh, the terms in which it will be actually uh, brought forward. Your thoughts around the uncertainties within even the population in Britain and also the political agenda here? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, in Britain is a, uh, a very divided uh, country. The negotiations on the EU showed it to be uh, split uh, down the middle, more or less, on uh, that subject and uh, showed Britain to be subject to similar kinds of uh, anti-elite populist pressures and anti-immigration pressures that you see on parts of the uh, European continent and in the United States. And I think the, uh, the mood in the country politically is, uh, is, is brittle. So um, I, I think this is the context in which uh, the country is proceeding. So far, the, uh, the economy has held up relatively well. Uh, some of the dire predictions made for economic collapse have uh, not been borne out. And in fact, uh, support for uh, some form of uh, British departure from the European Union has held firm or, or, or even strengthened. So this is the, the backdrop against which uh, Theresa May is operating. Now, of course, there is still an inevitable element of uncertainty. I mean, there are some who predict that the economic impact mm of the departure is is still to be felt. There could be all sorts of long-run consequences, for example, uh, in terms of the status of the City of London in international finance. Uh, So there are remaining uncertainties uh, economically and and politically, and I suppose in that context it also makes sense for uh, the Prime Minister of Britain to seek the the, the strongest possible mandate, although I, I continue to maintain that her motivations are primarily domestic political ones. Mm. Let me come to you Ronald, very interesting view there coming from uh, Mr. Glazer because it is something that has been uh, very contested the the economic implications of Brexit and uh, Theresa May had to convince uh, uh, the public after they wanted a second memorandum that the decision has already been made with the first memorandum but we know that just like South Africa has been downgraded by some of these rating agencies 
agencies Standard & Poor's and Fitch also downgraded Britain because of its vote to leave the European Union citing risks to its economy and political upheaval. Your thoughts around those uncertainties? No, definitely. Um, th- these are uncertain times in more than one sense. And, and the um, decision of the Brits to withdraw from the EU was a shock to the system. And it creates not only uncertainties and, and insecurities for many, but it can also create opportunities. And I think that has been the approach from South Africa, for instance, is to use this opportunity to engage with the UK government and to see what can already be discussed, not necessarily finalized, but discussed in terms of bilateral relations. Because if the UK is not part of the EU anymore, that may open opportunities for a different kind of relationship. So that may be an uncertainty, yes, but it may also be an opportunity. So I think that's the one dimension that one needs to look at and not overlook. On the other hand, the uncertainty with what happens between the UK and the EU has another spin-off, and that is it puts more pressure on the EU itself. And it was referred to by one of the other speakers that there are serious tensions within the EU. There are different streams of ideas and, and, and not an attack on the EU, but asking questions about the fundamental nature and values of the EU and what the EU actually um, still holds in terms of the original ideas. So those are all on the table. And I think if one looks at what happens on continental Europe, the French election of yesterday, uh, uh, uh. what's going to happen in Germany in terms of the next election, uh. these are all not new tensions, but tensions that now also focus attention to the EU and the, the relationship within the EU and the stability of the EU as a given for a number of decades already. So, so there are huge uncertainties and potential problems that, that are cropping up, but these also create opportunities. Mm. Uh, those are uh, those elements that are deepening are very interesting that you highlight them and let me take that to you uh, Mr. Rasmus in terms of looking at uh, the idea of trade relations because you know this global world has changed someone says international I was was speaking to an expert last week and uh, they were highlighting the fact that even international doesn't speak of this space we find ourselves internationally it's not even a descriptive anymore for just looking at the global dynamics because so many things are unpredictable currently and when it comes to trade relations a lot of questions have been asked uh, Professor Erasmus around what's going to happen with Britain well, as I've said before, um, no one knows what is going to happen to Britain in terms of the legal framework uh, under which it will trade not only with the EU, and may I remind us that 45% of trade in goods uh, for, for London is with the, with the continent, with the EU. Mm-hmm. It is the most in- important trading partner. Now, the backdrop against, for, 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 uh, against which we have to look at this is that international trade, uh, irrespective of whether it is conducted under the WTO rules, on, um, by, under the bilateral trade agreement and FTA or in the EU, all of them have legal rules, and those legal arrangements must be mutually compatible. The UK cannot now, um, you know, start negotiating a special deal with 
let's say, South Africa on how to accommodate our needs around um, uh, the wine quota that we have under the SADC EPA, the bilateral agreement between the EU and, 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 and SACO, the customs union. All of this must be done in a manner that is ultimately WTO compatible and compatible with the conditions which the EU will and, and, the, and the UK will have to decide and will negotiate about. So this is a, 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 a complicated game, a very complicated game. And despite the fact that there are uh, all sorts of developments and shifts in the global power relationships and around trade, the fact of the matter is that the multilateral trading system is the only rules-based system that we have. There are ironies like China becoming uh, mm -hmm. at times a stronger mm -hmm. supporter of globalization now mm -hmm. as some of, some, of, some of the Western nations, and we say that in the context of, of what Mr. Trump is from time to time saying and doing or not doing. But even that is shifting. Mm -hmm. this, this period of uncertainty um, is to be accommodated and has to move forward against the backdrop of um, uh, uh, international rules-based dispensation, uh, which is uh, founded on the WTO rules, on the EU rules, and on the various bilateral agreements. They all speak to each other. And if you start changing this or trying to accommodate new developments and needs, and Brexit is the most dramatic example, the challenge is to do that in a manner that is predictable and certain and will be, will be compatible. Mm. And that is why there are so many uncertainties. And that is why the timing uh, is, is an important matter. Last week there was an announcement by the DTI, the African Part of Trade and Industry, mm -hmm. that they will start very soon uh, with negotiations with London about the um, non-interruption of the uh, preferential trade mm -hmm. benefits that, mm -hmm. that SACO enjoys uh, to, to that market. The point mm -hmm. is the agreement that presently governs that. It's not an agreement with London, it's an agreement with the EU of which wow. the UK is still a part and will remain a part till mm. the end of these negotiations. Mm. And until that point arrives, there's, there's no legal basis. There can mm. be political mm. promises, but there cannot be a firm legal grant or uh, agreement in terms of new trade which will change conditions and entry into the markets of the UK, but also at the same time addressing the remaining problems in the EU. Mm. Well, with that said, there's an interesting article that I want to bring to you, uh, Mr. Glazer, by Andrew Hammond, who's an associate at the Centre for International Affairs, Diplomacy and Strategy at the London School of Economics. There's a part in the article titled May's uh, uh, Paul Bombshell, a shrewd move that was uh, just uh, published this past Friday in the Mail and Guardian. Um, the writer says, uh, others voted leave for a vision of buccaneering global UK that could post-Brexit allow the nation to secure new, new ties with non-EU countries, including in the Asia, Pacific region, the Middle East and the Americas. Meanwhile, a significant slice of the electoral voted leave as a protest against non-EU issues such as the domestic austerity measures implemented by UK government since the 2008 and 2009 international financial crisis. With what both Ronald and uh, uh, Professor uh, Rasmus have highlighted is very interesting that it's still fluid, the intentions and uh, the real 
reasons behind the the Brexit move, and it makes things very makeshift uh, for politics in in the country. Yes, well, you know, I think Britain, prior to the referendum, most people in Britain and most people in the political establishment and even some uh, Brexiters did not expect Britain to vote for Brexit and did not expect Britain to be dealing with this absolutely uh, enormous uh, project of renegotiating Britain's relationship with the world that, that my colleague has talked about. So... Uh, you know, it's going to. This is a, a news story that's going to be dominating Britain uh, for a, a long time to come. I mean, Europe has been a huge issue in British politics going back, well, really to the 1970s when Britain joined uh, the economic community uh, as it then was. But I mean, it's made a huge source of division, especially uh, in the Conservative Party. At the moment, it's it's arguably doing more damage to uh, the Labour Party, which used to be. Uh, anti-EU and uh, is, is now in a, a state of uh, ambivalence about the EU, whereas Theresa May has uh, tried to make herself appear strong by adopting a definite uh, kind of hard Brexit approach to the EU. I would say if, um, if there are clouds on um, Theresa May's horizon, I mean, apart from the uh, hugeness of the, the task and, and the economic uncertainty, there is a, a, a threat also of uh, the breakup of the United Kingdom. Uh, mm. This is something we should also just insert into our discussion because uh, the Scots voted to remain in the European yes. Union and they are very unhappy about uh, the decision to leave the European mm-hmm. Union. Uh, independence for Scotland was narrowly averted in a recent referendum. The mm. Scottish National Party, which is uh, controlling... Scottish Parliament is pushing for a, a new referendum, which so far Theresa May has been reluctant to accede to. But there are huge pressures on that front. So it might be that uh, the price eventually paid by the Conservatives and, in, and indeed by Britain, and it will, of course, be damaging also to Labour, which used to have a lot of support in Scotland, uh, with, with the price would be the breakup of the United Kingdom. There's also uh, a potential problem in Northern Ireland, mm where the uh, Good Friday Agreement, which uh, resulted in coalition government between the the, uh, Unionists and Republicans in Northern Ireland, part of the background assumption to that agreement was that there would be a soft border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, that that border would be softened by the fact that countries on both sides of the border are in the European Union. there's a real possibility that this could reopen the whole uh, Irish, uh, Northern Irish question. And indeed, right now, there's a political crisis in Northern Ireland and a danger of Northern Ireland reverting to direct rule from uh, Westminster. So uh, I wouldn't, although this is a sweet moment politically for Mm -hmm. Theresa May, I think there are huge uncertainties uh, surrounding what's going to become of the United Kingdom, both domestically and internationally, in the next, say, five to eight years. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and see how we can uh, conclude this uh, conversation with our final part. Uh, We're looking at uh, the Brexit uh, uh, move and we know that uh, uh, Prime Minister of Britain, uh, Theresa May, uh, was actually last week uh, speaking to uh, the media, speaking about a snap election, which is scheduled for June the 8th uh, to strike that strong mandate as she negotiates 
indicates that uh, Britain's exit from the European Union. The time right now is 11.34, almost 11.35 Central African time. Let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll uh, uh, wrap up the conversation with our final views from our guests. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. That is exactly who we are, Channel Africa, the African perspective. Uh, our main service into the continent is on shortwave. Remember uh, that uh, you can still find us uh, on uh, that uh, particular service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's our service into our friends into the continent. A free service indeed uh, that is uh, uh, from South Africa to the rest of the continent. And you can also find us online on www www.channelafrica.co.za that's www.channelafrica.co.za don't forget that we're on DSTV if you're listening to us from South Africa on our frequency 802 on the audio bouquet there that's the channel 802 on the audio bouquet we're going to wrap up this conversation and uh, I still have uh, Ronald Henwood there who is uh, from the University of Pretoria a political lecturer there and I also have Daryl Glazer uh, professor of politics at the University of Edvartisrand and uh, Professor Gerald Erasmus who is uh, joining us from the Trade Law Center and uh, I, 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 we have to wrap it up in some way moving forward. I know it's going to take a long kind of period to actually uh, see this uh, Brexit move un- unfolding but I want to go back to the areas that Mr. Glazer highlighted Ronald which is uh, uh, the Scotland dynamic, the fact that they were against this Brexit move as they are f- forming part of the United Kingdom and that creates something that actually the conservatives have been ignoring uh, this aspect of things and being indifferent uh, to the Scottish element. Do you think this is detrimental uh, to this Brexit uh, uh, persuasion? It's definitely going to have an impact and it can have a very negative impact and I think the key issue here is again the decision to of, of the majority, it's a small majority of people to vote for Brexit uh, Brexit essentially implies that Britain is moving into uncharted political territory. No one has ever done this. No one has been there. And with the fragile political context, the relationship with the Scots, the relationship with Ireland being very fraught with problems, it's a difficult time. So, so the pressure is mounting. And whatever Theresa May has been decided now in terms of the election is not going to be an escape and it's not an easy ride out of the situation. She may strengthen her hand politically, but it doesn't take away the challenges and the dangers that she faced politically. And the 
unintended consequences that may flow from this for everyone living in the UK and even associating with the UK. Uh, Professor Rasmus, your thoughts on that dynamic of uh, the, the Scottish and the, the islands? Yeah, again, we um, we don't know exactly mm-hmm. um, what the political mood will or how the political mood will will be changed. We we definitely know that uh, Scotland uh, wants to remain in. It cannot do so as a, as a uh, under its present constitutional status. It's simply not possible. So political tension will definitely develop around that one. I just want to point out that. The, there is an internal constitutional dimension mm. in terms of which um, the British Parliament and the Prime Minister can formally deal with this issue. They can say, you had your opportunity for, for, a, for a referendum in Scotland. Um, uh, it was, the decision was to stay in the UK, but that, that um, decision whether to have a second referendum is not something over which the uh, um, um, uh, the Scottish authorities can decide unilaterally. It has to be granted by by the UK. And if she refuses a second, if she refuses a request for a second for a second referendum in Scotland, she will be completely within her constitutional powers to do so. And there have already been indications that that may indeed be the way that that they will approach this. Now, there will be great unhappiness mm. um, 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 amongst the nationalists, but, mm. uh, and, and they will run to the courts again. Mm. Um, we have had these uh, uh, court cases in the beginning of the year confirming or explaining the nature of the, of the powers of the, of, the, of the British Parliament. But she, it, it, is, it is formally possible to deal with that issue along these technical lines. Whether it will be politically wise or, or not is a, is a different matter. But at least there is, there is some, some sort of uh, clear road to travel to, to reach uh, that, con- uh, that decision. Mm. As far as Northern Ireland is concerned, the matter is a little bit more complicated. There is, no, there is complete freedom of movement uh, of persons and goods and capital between the two borders, mm. the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, under the present dispensation, under the present membership of the UK, um, of, of the EU. If that comes to an end, and remember the, the hard Brexit mm-hmm. option means that the UK will leave the, 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 the common market and would, will leave the, the customs union. Mm-hmm. The moment that happens, you need borders where customs officials will um, uh, have to apply tariffs, they will mm-hmm. check imported goods for, for rules of origin. Uh, the UK will need its own tariff book over all its territory, including Northern Ireland. Now, the Republic will be a member of the EU, and, and, and if this scenario plays out where, the, where a hard Brexit is the consequence, then you will have uh, additional complications, which will, as has been pointed out, fly directly in the face of other very important political deals and, and, and arrangements of, 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 of previous years, which secure the peaceful uh, interaction in, in, in Ireland as a whole. Mm. Now, if we, if we tamper with that, or if they tamper with that in such a fundamental way, as will become inevitable mm. uh, under, under a hard Brexit, mm. then a new set of uncertainties are introduced.
So what is the what is the the, the consequence of that? That the negotiations mm. with the with Brussels around around all these matters have have uh, have various dimensions and various um, angles. One of them will be how to accommodate and how to integrate players from Northern Ireland and Scotland mm. into the into the uh, into the negotiations so that uh, a, um, a deal can be struck that will that will find potential answer to these very dangerous issues. Mm. Let me get the final sentiments of you, Daryl Glazer, in terms of uh, the, the way forward, just uh, maybe also maybe elements maybe we didn't want to touch that you want to touch on briefly. Well, I mean, one element that we haven't touched on that I think maybe we need to touch on is the uh, future of the Labour Party. Mm. Uh, the, the Labour Party is obviously in a very weak uh, situation politically. Mm. One of the unintended consequences of Theresa May's move might be to uh, result in uh, the Labour Party having to basically uh, change its leaders. And uh, at the moment, to be uh, blunt about it, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, this left-wing populist leader, is a a political asset for Theresa May. If the Labour Party uh, is sufficiently traumatised by the election outcome and finds a more credible leader, then it will potentially create long-term political difficulties. But uh, at the moment, of course, things look very good for Theresa May in terms of politics because the Labour Party is is very politically divided. Internally, the uh, parliamentary Labour Party has expressed no confidence in its own leader. It's absolutely impossible for a party to do well under, under these circumstances. But uh, but the Labour Party is one of the great parties of the uh, United Kingdom uh, over the, since the uh, early in the last century, and its future is going to be something to watch with great interest. Mm. Ronald, your, your final sentiments? I think we're looking at interesting times playing out in, in, in the politics of the UK, but also the politics of Europe. And even though we sit very far from Europe, I don't think we can look at this and say, well, good for them, because we are probably going to be affected by this in more than one way. So best that we keep, we keep a clear eye on what's happening and also keep our ducks in a row in the context of South Africa, Southern African engagement with the EU and with the UK. Thank you very much to our guests for their insights and uh, for also being part of our program. Uh, that is the uh, Ronald Hanwood, the political analyst based at the University of Pretoria. Thank you uh, to also Daryl Glazer, Associate Professor of Politics at the University of Witwatersrand. Thank you to also Gerard Erasmus, who is a professor and also in the Associate at uh, TRELAC, which is the Trade Law Center, uh, which is in South Africa, Cape Town. Uh, thank you all for giving us your insights. It's been a very great uh, conversation. Remember, we're going to try to put that uh, conversation on podcast there uh, to get you uh, into these various dynamics that they've spoken about on the show. Thank you all for giving us your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Fantastic. Thank you and bye bye. It takes us to 11. Well, that's how we wrap up our show today. Thank you to everyone who was part of the show, the guys in the background who make things happen and all. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of, one, the rights to privacy, 
of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. And also, we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything.